the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The unsealing of the book of Daniel led to the great disappointment of 1844 when sincere Bible-believing Christians were booted out of their churches because they wanted Jesus to come. Imagine a crime like that. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled The Harvest and the Judgment. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Today, here on Reaching Your Heart, we will conclude with a message we started the last time we were together entitled, The Harvest and the Judgment. That's The Harvest and the Judgment. It is a part of the Revelation series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. If you'd like to listen to the entire message without interruption, it's available there for you under the Revelation series on the website, reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with the conclusion to The Harvest and the Judgment with Pastor Michael Oxentenko here on today's Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike. The Day of Atonement was the day the Jewish high priest came into the presence of God when he entered the most holy place of the Hebrew sanctuary in a cloud of white smoke to cleanse the sanctuary and to prepare his people for a new year. He was coming all right, coming to the Father, but not to the earth. The Day of Atonement pointed forward to the judgment of God's people in heaven just before Jesus comes here. Christ made it very clear that something had to happen in heaven before the second coming. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 19. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. I mean, Christ had predicted this event in a single parable, so beautifully spoken. As they, the disciples, heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They were wanting exactly what the Millerites wanted. They wanted it to happen right then and there. But then Christ makes this statement in verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to do what? What does it say? To receive his kingdom and then return. I mean, so Christ went to heaven for what purpose, according to that verse? To receive his kingdom from his father, understood, and once he had received it, to do what? Then return. Before Christ could return, he must receive his kingdom in that far-off land or country. To receive his kingdom, Jesus must come before God the Father. He must come into the presence of the ultimate authority, and God must give it to him. And that's what they missed at first in 1844. Suddenly, Daniel 7, 13, and 14 was alive with meaning in their minds. After the great world empire symbolized by the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then the monster with ten horns, which represents the Middle Ages, the ten kings of the medieval world, Christ is pictured at the end of the Middle Ages, before the end of the historical monarchies, coming into the presence of God in Daniel 7 in a cloud of smoke like the high priest on the great day of atonement. God is sitting on his chariot throne, which is the great Ark of the Covenant in the heavenly sanctuary. 
And as they were looking for Jesus to come here in 1844, but he was really coming into the presence of his father who had initiated the judgment that is for God's people just before the second coming. Daniel 7.13 I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Now notice the phrase and he came to where? What does it say? To the earth? It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? He came to the ancient of days. So he came right into the presence of his father. And it says, and he was presented before him. The Aramaic would indicate that he was carried into his presence as royalty because he's a nobleman who goes into a far off country to receive his kingdom. Verse 14, notice what happens. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the fulfillment of what Christ had prophesied, that he had left, he had gone to heaven to receive his kingdom, and once he receives his kingdom, then he will return. Now, if Christ had received his kingdom immediately after he ascended to heaven, he would have come shortly after. This event could not have happened in the first or second century. This event had to happen at the end of the Middle Ages, prior to the second coming of Christ. This heavenly judgment is pictured in Daniel as a proxy judgment. Because Jesus Christ is there, God the Father is there, the angels are there, but we aren't there. Christ is representing his people in that heavenly judgment as their substitute. Look at Daniel 7.21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints. Now the horn is a a religio-political kingdom in the Middle Ages that looks like the Son of Man, but he isn't. And it's very clear in verse 21, it prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints received the kingdom. So is the judgment good news or bad news in this verse? It's good news. I mean, how many of you ever grown up being a little afraid of the judgment? You know, scared to death. You see the picture of God's law. You get the idea that you can't stand before God in the judgment day, and you, you know you've made mistakes. If you don't, you're probably a sociopath. But if you do, you're probably normal, right? <laughs> no amens out there. Well, we're struggling with moral conscience today, aren't we? Well, the point is, if you know that, and hopefully you do, because the law was given to make you know that, you have a reason to be a little scared of the judgment day. And so what we have here is a proxy judgment. We have Christ standing before his Father, and you aren't there. Now, I can think of one other place where that happened. At the cross of Calvary, when Christ died for your sins, you weren't there. Because Jesus was taking your place at the cross of Calvary. And dear heart, you aren't in this proxy judgment because if you are a Christian, if you love the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what Christ says in John 5 is true for you, that you have passed from judgment to life. Christ goes into the presence of God the Father as your substitute in the judgment. And so Daniel is very clear, until the Ancient of Days came, this little horn was prevailing against God's people. And judgment was given, he uses the word, for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints received the kingdom. Friends, Christ died for for our sins in 1 Corinthians 15.3. In Romans 4.25, he was raised for our justification and acceptance. And the gospel of the kingdom, of the future judgment, is part of that everlasting gospel that the judgment is given for the saints of the Most High. And Jesus receives the kingdom so he can give it to you. 
The pre-advent proxy judgment in heaven is for God's people and not against them if they believe in Jesus. The Christ who died for His people at the cross, who was raised for their justification and acceptance, will be for them at the end of time through the end of time. This heavenly proxy judgment prophesied by Daniel is part of the everlasting gospel. In Matthew twenty-four fourteen, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. Christ's words are a direct allusion to Daniel 7, 13, 14. Friend, Jesus knew. I mean, he knew what we're going through. He knew about Hurricane Sandy. He knew about your collapsed mortgage plans. He knew about your job loss. He knew about your financial status. And he knew that that final generation would be afraid of the signs of the end. He knew that it would be natural for them to cower in fear at the prospect of facing God in the judgment day. And so the good news is for every man and woman who can't make good news on their own. It's for every man and woman who can't stand on their own the judgment day. It's for hearts that are afraid to face the prospect of coming before a holy God with an imperfect life. Christ has come to his Father at the end of the 2300-year prophecy that reaches to the year 1844. Why? To confess the names of his people one name at a time until he receives his kingdom, to take the victory of the cross, the assurance of the resurrection, right there into the presence of God for this proxy pre-advent judgment, so he will receive his kingdom. Friend, this is part of the everlasting good news. The final harvest of the earth is the season for the judgment. We are living in the hour of God's judgment. Before the winter of the world, there will be a harvest in the world, and then Jesus will come. In Revelation 11, 1 and 2, there are three necessary actions that occur after the great disappointment of 1844 that has everything to do with God's sanctuary. Let's look at them in brief. Revelation 11, 1. I was giving a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told to rise up and measure what? What's the first component? The temple of God, then the altar, and then those who worship there. Necessary action number one, the sanctuary is measured. Necessary action number two, the altar is measured. Necessary action number three, worshipers are measured. These are the three components. Now it just so happens that the sanctuary, the altar, and the worshipers are the three elements that were cleansed on the tenth day of the seventh Jewish month on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. Revelation 11.1 is the antitypical end-time fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, the sacred day of service in the Jewish sanctuary, Yom Kippur. 1844 is the end-time fulfillment of what the priest did yearly in the service. Look at Leviticus 16.32. Notice the elements are here. The Day of Atonement service. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for what? Number one, the sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar too. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. So we have the language of the Day of Atonement immediately following the great disappointment of 1844. What this service pointed forward to is now in action as it is being fulfilled in history. Action number one, the sanctuary is measured or cleansed. Action number two, the altar is measured or cleansed. Action number three, the worshipers are measured and cleansed. Now the Greek word for measure is metreo and we get our word metrics from it. Now, what does metreo mean here, or measure? It just so happens that the same Greek word is used by Jesus in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. 
Actually, 7 verse 2, but look at verse 1. Jesus said, judge not that you what? Be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. So when you measure someone in Matthew 7, 2, what are you doing? You're judging them. Very good. So to measure means to judge. Three things are judged in this heavenly judgment after 1844. Number one, the sanctuary. Number two, the altar. Number three, the worshipers. The Bible is very clear about this. Number one, the sanctuary represents God's house in heaven. Why would it have to be judged? Why would he have to go into that far off country to receive his kingdom and then return? Well, think about it. Where did sin start? Did it start here or there? Sin started in the holy mountain of God, based on Ezekiel 28, in the presence of God, right inside the most holy place. That's where the corruption started, right where God was out. Wouldn't it make sense you go all the way back where sin started to get the final assessment and verdict of God for the future kingdom? And so it is. The nobleman who is Jesus goes into a far-off country to receive his kingdom right there in the sanctuary. Christ will receive his kingdom inside the place where sin occurred, where Lucifer rebelled. So the sanctuary would be cleansed. Number two, in addition to the sanctuary, the altar is also judged or measured. The altar is the golden altar of incense. Now, why would it need to be measured? In Revelation 8.3, it stands before God's throne. In Revelation 8.4, incense representing the prayers of God's people ascend to God. In the judgment at the end of time, those prayers will be answered. Every prayer that every Christian and every believer has prayed for relief and justice and mercy, for the end of sin to come, they will be answered during the judgment hour of human history. The seven bowls of the seven last plagues are prayer bowls in the book of Revelation. They represent incense that is ascended to God, and finally God will act to end the old evil age and to bring a new one that will never pass away. And so the altar must be measured and assessed. Every single prayer will be answered when Jesus enters the most holy place. Number three, the worshipers are judged in the sense that it will be determined in this proxy judgment who has remained faithful to Jesus Christ. So it's not just the sanctuary and the altar, the worshipers are important. You see, it must be determined who wants Jesus and who doesn't. It's possible to accept Jesus like Judas and leave Jesus like Judas. Now, I don't want to do that. And so this pre-advent judgment is is to see who has remained Friend, if you grow in Jesus and you don't go away from Jesus, you will be a part of Jesus' kingdom. Did you hear me? If you choose to go away from Jesus, you won't be a part of his kingdom. Those who endure to the end will be saved. And they will be received into his kingdom. Not maybe, they will be. In Matthew 18, 23, Jesus said, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. It's very clear when he comes into the presence of his father to receive his kingdom, according to Jesus, he must settle accounts with his servants. Now in this parable in Matthew 18, the king forgives the servant who has wronged him. He freely forgives him. It represents a universal forgiveness of all sin. The king's heart is large enough to forgive every sin. But this servant doesn't want to forgive his fellow servant who has a debt against him. And so if you will not forgive your brother or sister, the king will not forgive you in the heavenly judgment. An unforgiving Christian will not be saved at the end of time. The parable is clear. Matthew twenty four thirteen. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Luke twelve eight to 9 I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men 
will be denied before the angels of God. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Again, Revelation 3, 5, He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I mean, if you're struggling with forgiveness, has anyone here ever struggled with forgiveness? I have. You know, to be reconciled, Two parties have to come together and humble up. Isn't that right? You can't just have one party humble up. But if that's not happening, you know what you can do? You can pray for that other person who is unwilling to do it in that kind of way. So if you're struggling with forgiveness, you need to overcome in Jesus' name by forgiving whoever's hurt you inside your head first. Christ is waiting to confess your name before the Father. I mean, he wants to desperately to stand before his Father and say, I claim Joe and Sue and Max and Mike for me, Father. But he can't do it unless you forgive the person you despise inside your head. If you're holding out on somebody who's here in the church or someone who's in your family, then you've got to get on your knees and forgive that person. When Jesus stands in the judgment of Daniel 7, 13, 14, inside the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, Christ comes to the Father in that far-off country to receive his kingdom and then return. Friend, Jesus wants to represent you in the proxy judgment before the angels and his Father in heaven. He can't represent you if you are ashamed of him down here on earth. So if you don't want to share Christ in your life, if you're just afraid of praying in Jesus' name, you don't want to make a point to share him with your friends or bring people to church, it could be in that judgment he might confess that you are ashamed of him. He can't confess your name and receive you into his kingdom if you aren't willing to confess him down here as Savior and Lord and to forgive others in Jesus' name. The judgment of Revelation 11 corrects injustices with mercy. It brings forgiveness and grace as the foundation of that future kingdom. The judgment is a good thing for God's people, a season for the harvest, a time to forgive, a time to love, a time to establish relationships that will never end. Revelation 11.2, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the Gentiles, and they will trample over the holy city for 42 months. The Bible is very clear that this proxy judgment is not for unbelievers. Their judgment will come at the end of the millennium in Revelation 20. This proxy judgment is for those who believe in Jesus, for those who have confessed him, for those who have taken the name of Lord. It is to determine who will be in his kingdom. Daniel 7.22 reveals that it is for the saints of the Most High to receive the kingdom in this judgment. I like a judgment like that. When the focus, when the goal is for us to receive the kingdom, that's a good kind of judgment. The seventh trumpet introduces this judgment that is for God's people and against those who oppress them. I'm just going to read it here, Revelation 11.15. I think you can understand it as we have developed the context. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven in the year 1844 understood, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to Thee, Lord God Almighty, who art and who wast, that Thou hast taken Thy great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but Thy wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, for rewarding Thy servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear Thy name, both small and great, yes, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. That's what those early Advent believers came to understand. That we have moved from the holy place into the most holy place. That the final judgment hour of human history has dawned upon us. That we must keep God's law not as legalists, but as people who have faith in Jesus Christ. Because Christ is standing before his Father to confess our names in the presence of holy angels. Jesus said in Luke 19.12 that an nobleman went into a far-off country to receive his kingdom and then return. Christ didn't leave us for no good reason. He left to bring us God's glory. Right now, Jesus is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, receiving his kingdom, one name at a time. When every heart is his and every name is confessed before his Father, Jesus will return. Revelation 14, 6, Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God. It means to love God and give Him glory. For the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. The judgment of the righteous dead has begun. We are living during that sacred time, the antitypical day of atonement. And one day the judgment of the living will follow in the great mark of the beast test at the end of time. Friend, Jesus stands in the presence of the Father praying for you so you can legitimately receive his kingdom because you belong to Christ. Don't you think it's time to start praying to accept the truth deep inside so Jesus can in fact confess your name before his Father and you can receive the seal of the living God? You know, forgiveness is hard for people these days, isn't it? Let's face it. A certain woman in Arizona named Holly Solomon was arrested last Saturday for chasing her husband around a parking lot with an SUV. It all started with an argument that got out of control. It seemed her husband had failed to vote. That was the crime, the domestic crime that led to this awful event. The argument was over the election. That's right, her husband, Daniel Solomon, failed to vote. Holly Solomon married Daniel Solomon, and she expected him to vote against Barack Obama. You can kind of tell who wore the pants in that family. She believed that her family was going to have a hard time if he was elected. And so when she found out that her husband didn't vote against Obama, she got angry. She told the police that arrested her that she just hated Obama. And so her hatred for the President of the United States, I mean, what a thing, spilled over into an ugly kind of hatred for her husband because he didn't vote her way against Barack Obama. Witnesses heard loud yelling in the parking lot. The argument became a storm and Holly Solomon got into the SUV and started chasing her husband across the parking lot with murder in her eyes. You know, it was time to end the life of the man who wouldn't vote against Barack Obama. Forget I do, I quit. She was out to take him down. At first, Daniel Solomon got away as he hid behind a light pole dodging the lunging SUV which was coming at him. She kept pouncing at the light pole with the SUV, going around trying to, to flush her husband out to pin him against the pole. She was screaming at him from the top of her lungs. She had bloody murder in her eyes. You didn't go to vote against Barack Obama. 
finally he made the mistake of trying to run away from the light pole. Bad move. She caught up to him at the curb and she ran over him, pinning his broken body beneath the SUV. She was taken into custody. She was booked on charges of domestic violence. If Daniel Solomon dies, she'll be tried for murder. If you hate someone enough to convict them in the jury of your mind, then you are really guilty of murder and you're a child of the evil one. I mean, God knows if you've been wronged by someone. I mean, it hurts to be wronged. But if in your heart you're praying for that person, you have forgiven them. What they do with that is their business. What you do on your knees is yours. If you love someone, you prove it by praying for them. The book of Revelation says, the hour of God's judgment has come. Don't you think it's time you forgive that certain someone so God can forgive you? Friend, Jesus is waiting at the right hand of God to confess you before his Father and the holy angels. Forgive and you will be forgiven. By the measure you measure, you will be measured. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, forgive. And become part of a different kind of kingdom that is based on mercy and grace. You are justified by faith as you get on your knees and you ask God to forgive you. Now show that you are justified by faith by getting on your knees and asking God to forgive that person who has wronged you. The hour of God's judgment is the final season for the harvest of the world. Friend, God is waiting for a people. He is waiting. That's true. He's waiting for a people to get ready to receive the apostolic gospel forgiveness and then to forgive because they are forgiven. What kind of person will you be in the harvest? What kind of person will you be when the judgment ends and Jesus comes? That is going to conclude The Harvest and the Judgment, a part of the Revelation series here on Reaching Your Heart. If you'd like to listen to the entire message without interruption, it's available for you at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.